welcome back to the Center Pass podcast brought to you by Netball Draft Central. My name is Sophie Taylor and as always, I'm joined by Taylor Melky. How's it going, Tay? Yeah, it's going good. It's been a really, really chaotic week of netball and I think it's only going to get more confusing, more exciting, more stressful as the week goes on. Absolutely. It was almost like as soon as we released our episode last Friday, a few days later than usual, it was already out of date by the time that we had finished it because the Fever and the Vixens had a little bit of a moment on Friday afternoon. The Vixens weren't able to travel over to Western Australia to play the Fever, so there was a little bit of beef. Yes, and a lot of us are vegetarians, you included, <laughs> so so you didn't take that too well. But I think as a whole, there is a lot for us to dissect from that encounter, not only the impact it had clearly on the sport or the round, given that the game was unable to take place, but more so just the interesting way in which both clubs went about releasing the news. And clearly there was quite a lot of uproar in relation to the way that the West Coast Fever worded their media release. And I, for one, was not overly happy with the way it was worded. I thought it was quite poor, to be perfectly honest. And it was such a negative and just really kind of embarrassing way to to put forward what had kind of happened. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, everything kind of went down at close of business here in Victoria at the very least. So it was kind of like this fever media release came out with the quite inflammatory words such as refused and things like that about the Vixens not wanting to travel. But it also left out a lot of the little um, fine-tuned what am I trying to say? It left out a lot of the little um, bits of information, such as a, f- a few of the Vixens players effectively weren't allowed to travel. Um, and Fever, Fever basically said, hey, well, we're not losing our home game, so you need to travel without those players. You have to sort it out. And the Vixens were like, well, no, that's not able to happen. In the end, the unfortunate thing is it was cancelled and then no games were played with crowds over the entire weekend in Western Australia anyway because of COVID. So it could have actually been solved relatively easily. It was apparently an ongoing dispute throughout the entire week. So unfortunately, with neither team able to come to a conclusion, only one match played out across the entire SSN round. And we'll touch on that one game a little bit later. But as you touched on there, Soph, it's the fact that they used refused to travel to Perth. Yeah, they didn't refuse. They were Three of their players yeah. were not allowed to enter the state. Therefore, you would think as a as a team, as a sporting organization, and to kind of look for the greater good, given the circumstances we are in at the moment, you kind of look for an alternative. If there is a way that, oh, okay, we might be able to potentially play a game here. How about you investigate that idea? But it was almost as if the Fever were just so reluctant and so set in their ways that they just refused to think of another way out of it, which was just as frustrating for fans across the country because this is a game of netball that we were all kind of looking forward to happening. And you can't imagine that the Fever would be overly happy if they didn't have the likes of Janelle Fowler, Courtney Bruce and Verity Charles. Yeah. And this is the calibre exactly. of players that we're speaking about when looking at the Vixens. It was what, Joe Weston, Kate Maloney and M. M. Mannix. Yeah. So three stalwarts and three of the most important players out on court. 
you're not going to leave your players behind. Yeah. And clearly there was some form of miscommunication. The Vixens players had done everything that they believed was within the rule books and adhered to the parameters set to them by Suncorp Super Netball. But then with changes in legislation and this, that and the other with this ongoing COVID-19 crisis, what's going to happen? Yeah, exactly. It was it was just a bit of a frustrating situation where it almost put all of the blame on the Vixens and none of the um, responsibility was taken by FIFA. And obviously when there are players who have done something and keeping in mind it wasn't actually not allowed that what the Vixens did. Obviously those three players went to northern New South Wales. They were nowhere near the COVID-19 outbreak last week and they were automatically villainised by this um, – by this press release that the fever put out and the SSN put out probably, I think it was under about 50 words, this press release of their own um, and the fever's one together. And then neither of them did any more um, media for the day. So it was just kind of left unsaid. And then I felt really bad looking at the social media on the weekend because Kate Maloney, M. Mannix and Joe Weston all actually put out their own statements explaining what happened because they felt like they were forced into um, an explanation when in reality they never actually did anything wrong. I think that's the thing that stood out to me the most was the sheer fact that these players felt like they had done something wrong and had to apologise for their yeah. actions when there was actually no need for it. You look at some players in not ne- necessarily netball, you look at AFL or just greater sporting events where there have been incidents where players definitely should have spoken up and taken, you know, a, a stand on their actions and apologised and they've just kind of negated it and pretended like nothing ever happened. Whereas yeah. three players went to Northern New South Wales and because of that, they've been villainised, as you said, Soph, not only by like just in general social media and things like that, although there was a lot of support more favouring towards the Vixens, especially for us given we are Victorians. Yeah. We were kind of on the receiving end of a lot more comfort towards Melbourne Vixens and saying that they were in the right. But to have an organisation, a Suncorp Super Nepal team, actually really pit themselves against them was just... I think for me, the standout was the fact that they really created this them and us mentality. And it wasn't as if they were trying to be caring or anything like that. They really put the blame on them and were like, oh, well, too bad, so sad. So how the turntables now that (laughs) looks like they're going to be coming to Victoria. So yes, well, that is the news out of today. Obviously, it is a Wednesday. That's our normal recording and um publishing data so to speak and it looks like all of the teams are now in Victoria bar the Adelaide Thunderbirds we're still waiting to hear an update on whether the Thunderbirds Magpies game will go ahead this weekend because they are meant to play in Adelaide but um, we are recording too early to find out so we may be uh, out of the loop as soon as we publish this episode so apologies if our information is incorrect but yeah we're not sure about whether Adelaide will be shutting down today but so far all seven of the other teams are in Victoria now fever landed here at about 5 a.m this morning the rest of the team so Queensland Firebirds uh, Giants Swifts and Lightning all arrived yesterday afternoon from what I've heard so everything has moved down to Victoria and I, for one, I'm kind of like, 
I'd like to see some of these teams play. I never get to see them. Oh, yeah, a little bit chuffed. Uh, that's definitely... <laughs> Which we shouldn't be. Yeah, it's it's not great, but we've got to look for the, the positive. This, this time last year, we were well in depth in a, a long-standing lockdown. So Queensland got to have all the fun and glory last year. <laughs> definitely not the same weather, uh, that's True. for sure. So that's something I'm sure a lot of teams will be unhappy about however it is really good to see that Suncorp Super Nepal as a whole are taking steps to ensure that this season can go ahead and fingers crossed with the little spot fires here there and everywhere in terms of lockdowns and things like that we will be able to have the full season go ahead and run smoothly clearly a, a main issue is going to be funding because if teams do have to stay down in Victoria for longer and they end up having to create a hub that could start to spark a few more issues so those are definitely things we'll have to be prepared for in the long term but all like there's just so much happening I just <laughs> don't even know where to begin and it's great to see so much netball and as you touched on so the fact that we will actually be able to get to live netball is a huge fingers plus crossed, fingers, fingers crossed <laughs> if we can will be great but for a lot of these teams especially the likes of the New South Wales teams they're now having to relocate once again yeah Queensland it's going to be their first time so it will be interesting to see how the lightning and the Firebirds do adjust to potentially a little bit longer on the road because clearly last year they had the upper hand in terms of having all of the games up in uh, the Sunshine State. So very, very interesting times lay ahead. Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty in the league at the moment. A lot of people I've been seeing online have been saying maybe we just push it back a week don't play any games this weekend if there's so much insecurity about what's going to happen. It looks like they are going to go ahead. Apparently the um, Netball Live app has updated with uh, matches, but as far as I know, Suncorp Super Netball hasn't confirmed anything yet. So we do have to wait for that confirmation. But yeah, there's a lot going on and it's quite funny because last week we were looking at this week's episode going wow we probably won't have much to talk about with just three games after one of the SSN matches was cancelled and one of the ANZ matches was cancelled and now we have so much happening that we've just got too much to talk about. There's too many moving parts and that's clearly going to be a huge issue not only for us to navigate but so too the rest of the competition but it's going to also be interesting as you touched on so the fact that the west coast fever landed this morning at 5 a.m and i'm pretty sure that they had closures or something along those lines at 1 a.m so it's going to be interesting to see if they've got an exemption and i'm sure there'll be a few vixens fans it'll be a little <laughs> bit toey about what may or may not happen but good to see that things are starting to get back up and running and we are going to potentially see four games of netball. Clearly, we've got John Kane Arena here in Melbourne that will be able to host all of those games. And worst comes to worst, I hear that Parkville has yes. been just done up. Uh, so yes. that's definitely something I'm sure many people will be hoping gets a, a little look in. Yes, well, the State Netball Centre has just gone through a big um huge rebuild over the last probably two and a half three years keeping in mind it is not necessarily set up for uh, matches to be played with crowds but if there is a situation where games do have to go ahead without crowds for cost um, saving purposes the state netball center or I think it's also known as um, Melbourne arena now no not Melbourne arena no, it's not Melbourne it's also arena. known as the Melbourne sports center now um that could be a viable option, but obviously 
Who knows? We have absolutely no clue what is happening. One thing we do know, though, is probably we should discuss the round, the only game that did happen on the weekend, which was the Sunshine Coast Lightning up against the Magpies. So 67 to 65, an overtime thriller. Who would have thought it would have got to that stage? It was an insane game to say to say the least. It was so seesawing. You didn't know which team had more control. There was definitely a scoring end across the court. Um, Magpies had all the momentum in the first quarter and then Lightning came back as we know they do. And then it went back the way of the Magpies and then they took out a lead and then Lightning kind of ran home in the last kind of minutes there. It was almost like the same, the other extra time match earlier this season between the Firebirds and the Swifts where neither team really had control and then the team that kind of raced home in the end of the last quarter was the one that was able to retain momentum and win the game. Well, I was out and I watched this game a little bit later and I was getting <laughs> live updates from my mother who was texting me saying, you should be watching the Collingwood game. This is happening. <laughs> so I know it's say, it says a lot when my mom is getting really up and about, clearly just like me, she is a Pies fan. However, I'd clearly have more of a soft spot for the Firebirds, but <laughs> it was an absolutely cracking game. Shimona Nelson in her 50th game, you could see in this performance just how much she has developed as a player and just the way the confidence grew on her was something to behold. She was up against the likes of Pumza Mawaini and Carla Pretorius, who are incredibly you know, great athletes, just renowned for their defensive pressure. She slotted 52 goals from 57 attempts. That's ridiculous. It was pretty insane. The other player that I wanted to make note of for the Magpies was Gabby Sinclair. I'm not the biggest fan of the way she plays, but she's really upped the ante in the last few rounds. She picked up 26 goal assists. She's really helping to carry that workload out the front, which we haven't quite seen from her before. And she also shot pretty true as well. 13 goals from 15. The Magpies didn't go for any super shots, which is the other thing that's really clear here. Unfortunately, they did just get pipped at the post, but they were really impressive across the entire court. Jodie Ann Ward was a complete game changer. I was really impressed by her work rate and she's really cleaned up her act this season. Well, Collingwood, in my opinion, do better when they have very limited changes because they have faith in those players out on court that they are going to work themselves into the game and they can use those connections that they're really building. As you touched on, Sinclair's been really good this season. She's kind of elevating her game, which is allowing Nelson to control the proceedings under the post, which... We've kind of seen glimpses of, yeah. of, but we haven't seen fully happen. And that is going to be an area teams are going to have to watch out for. Kelsey Brown is slowly returning to form. She'll have really, really good glimpses. And you're like, wow, okay, she's back in diamonds contention. I'm not saying that she's fully out, but I definitely think she hasn't hit that same level yet. Yeah. And as you touched on as well, Jodie Ann Ward, she has just been absolutely spectacular. She ends up with four intercepts and coming up against the likes of Laura Sherrion, who we know is a speed demon and is just really crafty with ball in hand and the likes of, you know, the midcourt had to consistently change for the Lightning. Collingwood put them under so much pressure yeah. that every single player out on court, uh, on their list got out on court and that's saying something. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at, the work rate of their attackers though Kara Conan 46 from 52 she's been really consistent wasn't necessarily her most accurate and that is down to the experience and that reach of Jeeva Mentor she's just such a beast under the post and then obviously Peace Proskovia also got some time on court I still question whether she should have been in there just because 
she's better than just an impact player. She deserves to be on there for more of a significant period. And she was in for what, half of the second half of the... 15 no, minutes. Half, half of the third and half of the fourth. So she only earned a full quarter of time out on court through the two quarters. And that I see that and I'm like, I know what she is capable of. Play Steph Wood a little bit more time out in wing attack. Put Proscovia and goal shooter Conan in goal attack. And they can really work that out. And they've been doing that in patches this season. And it was... Um, yeah, frustrating to see that kind of impact role of Proscovius coming back again because we know that she does her best when she has time to settle into the role. That being said, Steph Wood was also fantastic. Um, nine from 12, uh, 19 assists. She was pivotal in getting that ball into the goal circle and she ended up leading the charge in goal assists. Sherian was, like you said, was fairly well held by Ash Braz and Jodie Ann Ward's just impact on the court. So the Lightning were very, very lucky to get away with a win here. Oh, incredibly lucky. And that just comes down to their class and just their ability to win under pressure, if that makes sense. They're a team that knows how to grind out games and have that winning momentum behind them, whereas the Magpies have had such a checkered history, especially in the past two seasons thereabouts, where they've been unable to find that level of consistency across four quarters. And unfortunately, that came to play here because the Lightning were able to elevate to that next level. And Collingwood were just left half a step behind. And that showed on the scoreboard with a two-goal loss. One other player was Binion Hunt. She's also starting to get a little bit more court time. Okay, Shanley got 11 minutes here. But she is definitely starting to become a prospect, especially out in that wing attack role because she adds that extra height. And sometimes you could have too much tall timber if they were to go for the likes of, you know, Conan, Proscovia and Hunt or something like that. I don't think they would necessarily roll with that often. But, yeah, it's very interesting to see the way that the Lightning are kind of getting more of their players out on court where in the past they've just been a starting seven and that's it. One question I do want to kind of put, not necessarily to you, Tay, but to the audience overall is the extra time rules. Obviously, we briefly touched on this with the um, earlier draw and extra time between the Swifts and Firebirds earlier on in the season. But this year, it is five minutes of extra time at one end of the court. Now, keeping in mind, like we said earlier, there is there was clearly a scoring end in this match and the Lightning were able to keep that same scoring end over extra time. Now, I kind of have a question of that if it's kind of unfair to only play one end in the extra time. You don't get to experience both um, umpires. umpires. Yeah, and it, I, I kind of question um, whether that's entirely fair. And I, I do really want to hear what other people have to say about that. Maybe that's just me. I like things to be fair. I'm a goaler, you can tell. <laughs> yeah, princess written all over you. <laughs> but I do understand the the thinking behind it because it is incredibly Im- imperative. The way that an umpire sees the game, if one end, which is evident every time the uh, play, like every t- quarter, there's lead change, if that makes yeah. sense. You could t- see which end was the scoring end. Magpies scored 19 and won the quarter. Second quarter, Lightning won at 17. So as soon as they swapped ends, you could tell which end yeah. was more favoured in terms of the umpiring. So it's a, definitely a great point you raise because what what if that was in a grand final and yeah. it went to extra time? Is that something where you would only have five minutes up one end of the court? And if you're getting heavily penalised, if you're the defensive unit, that's clearly going to be something that's not going to go down well. Yeah, and at the end of the day, we're not trying to say that the umpires are biased or anything or that one umpire on this game was better than the other or calling more than the other, but it does have to be 
questioned, I think, when you bring in a new extra time ruling this season for the first time and don't factor that in. So that's certainly something to think about. We've got a huge round of action coming up this weekend. We're going to run through the games that we are assuming will happen. So this week, instead of running through which days teams will be playing each other I'm just going to run through the teams that are set to play so we've got the Lightning taking on the Vixens the Swifts going up against the Fever Firebirds and Giants and then Thunderbirds and Magpies like we said we're not 100% certain that any of these will go ahead or where or when or the locations it's going to be very um, confusing It definitely is going to be very confusing. I'm not really sure which way to look, (laughs) to be perfectly honest, but there are definitely going to be some cracking games. So the the clash between the Giants and Firebirds is definitely going to be one that stands out to me, especially given the way that the Firebirds have been tracking this season. They've been so hot and cold and really need to start to generate some momentum if there's any chance of playing finals whereas the Giants have rekindled that form and if they bring that same level of heat and physicality then often the inexperience of the Firebirds defensive unit with Jenna and Hinchliffe will get caught on the body especially of Hart and things like that which will play into their hands very much so also given the fact that both sides are more than happy to take a super shot here or there it could get a little bit scrappy. Yeah, the other one that I've kind of got my eye on is the Swifts and Fever. Swifts have been in really great form. And I think if they play the way they did the week before um, last when they had a great win, when they had a great win, no, (laughs) when they had a great win over the Firebirds, I think they could be a real chance here. Defensively, Sarah Clow, even though she's not necessarily the tallest or the longest limbed or anything like that, she plays a really good game against Janelle Fowler, I think. So I think that could be a very, very interesting matchup. Obviously, the Lightning and Vixens, if the Lightning play the same way they did on the weekend and let the Vixens in, who knows what will happen. Although, uh, presumably, Emily Mannix is back, which means Rani Samerson won't be back. Uh, So it puts another question there. And then the Magpies and Thunderbirds, both teams have kind of been in up and down form. Yeah, both teams have been in up and down form, but I think that Collingwood seem to have found this combination at the moment. Yeah. And if the Thunderbirds are lulled into that game where Collingwood are able to trap them in, especially defensively, we saw the likes of Macy Nankerville, Lenise Potgita giving away quite a lot of offensive penalties. That's going to fall straight into the hands of Jeeva Mentor, Jodie Ann Ward and Ash Braz, who are ex- exceptionally good on that transitional play. So... For me, I think Collingwood should get the job done. Absolutely. Well, before we head into this week's ANZ Premiership action, we're going to quickly touch on the VNSL. They played out the grand final. They played out all four or all eight of their finals on the weekend. On Saturday, they had their two semifinals and the two winners ended up playing the grand final and then a third and fourth matchup. The grand final, unfortunately for me as a Team Bath fan, uh, Bath went down to Lightning and the Rhinos went down to Manchester Thunder. We are very lucky now to be joined by Leeds Rhinos goal shooter and West Coast Fever training partner, Danelle Wallam, who's actually in hotel quarantine back in Australia right now. First few days were okay because I was still getting over my jet lag, so I slept a lot. Uh, but now that I'm kind of awake a lot, um, it's very boring. So 
I'm just yeah trying to keep busy with some workouts, um, Netflix, and I've just been walking uh, up and down my room for at least half an hour a day. Gosh, that sounds like a pretty action-packed day. Just only confined <laughs> in such a small area. It must be hard to maintain that, I suppose, like fitness and being able to kind of get around and do things. Yeah, it is a bit hard. Um, there's not much I, I can do, but I just um, have to move some furniture around just to create some space so I can do, you know, just some basic stuff in here. At least you're able to do something. And obviously, yeah, not able to do much journeying at the moment apart from your trip over to Australia from the UK. But can you quickly run through your journey getting to the VNSL? Yeah. Um, so I was playing state league for um, for two years, so since 2019 when I joined West Coast Warriors. Um, and after the 2020 season, I um, got the opportunity. So my state coach, Lorraine Ward, um, you know, asked if I'd be interested in travelling to the UK, um, if that was something I'd be willing to do to play netball. Um, and so I just, you know, had to think about it for a while, but she had some contacts over there, um, and Dan Ryan was one of them. So he reached out to me, um, and just told me, you know, what rhinos could offer me, um, if I go over. And that was something, um, that I felt was the right thing to do at the time. And yeah, it's been probably one of the best experiences I've had. So, um, yeah, so I started playing State League and then went into the VNSL. How hard was it to make that decision to leave Australia and then start a new life over in the UK? Yeah, it was a really hard decision. Um, one, I didn't have much time to think about because they needed to fill the spot on the team. Um, my main worries were like going over to the UK during like covid where it was really bad or still is really bad over there. Um, that was my biggest concern. Um, and also like being so far away from my family in times like these. So um, I think it took me a week, I think, to at least like get a final decision. But um, yeah, I talked it over with my family and my coach here, um, Lorraine. Um, and yeah, we just got to the decision that, you know, it is the right thing to do. and. I'll be okay. And how have you seen your development from the start of the season to now? What are some of your like key takeaways from the experience? Yeah, um, there's been a huge development. So there was just like things, like technical things as a shooter that I had no idea about. Um, and because I was only playing netball competitively for those two years, I didn't, there was a lot that I still had to learn. Um, so when I got over there, Dan Ryan being a shooting specialist, he taught me like just footwork techniques, holding techniques that I didn't really have in my game. Um, and so that was really helpful and kind of gave me a bit of a toolkit to use as a, as a shooter. Um, but not only that, I think I've just grown like in confidence, you know, on the court and off the court as well. So um, it's been a yeah, really good experience for me. And you touched on have the influence of Dan Ryan. How has the other coaching staff assisted in your development so far? Uh, the coaching staff at Rhinos? Yeah. Yeah, so we had um, 
Maggie Farrell, she was um, our assistant coach, um, and she was kind of like a mother figure for me over there. So she was that caring, gentle person around the club um, and like someone you could go to to um, like talk to about anything. Um, and she just made it feel like a safe space like around her. Um, and then she would usually take some of our sessions on Fridays um, and it would be like a more of a fun session um, with the girls. And I think that just helped us all open up with each other, you know, still being competitive at what we're doing, but um, also having fun. Well, that's definitely the main thing is still maintaining that love for the netball. And clearly this season, it was the inaugural season of the Rhinos. What did it mean to be a part of that team? Yeah, that was um, really special to be a part um, to be a part of, and we got to you know create a culture that um, you know runners will want to keep around you know going forward. So um, you know we got to um, like play with some really experienced players as well, like um, Jade Clark. We were supposed to have Maddie Brown over as well, but um, with her injury, she couldn't make it over this season. Um, but just, yeah, being, you know, setting the standard for the club, um, you know, it was a really cool experience. Um, and, yeah, one that I'll cherish for a long time. <laughs> and you worked alongside some other great developing players like Rhea Dixon, Vicky Oyasola, Brie Grierson. I think Dixon and Grierson in particular, you created this really exciting connection they all kind of had fantastic seasons alongside you what was it like kind of working with those players too yeah that was awesome um you know they had amazing seasons and like three of them now are in the roses program um which is a huge testament to them um our um our bonds that we created on the court um you know, it was really special and it was kind of um, disrupted as well at the start of the season when I got injured. So for when I came back in, like we just picked up exactly where we left off um, and it was just it just felt so natural and flowed so easy between Bree, Rhea and myself. So it was cool. And you had clearly a little bit of time out with your injury. How was it to, how was that recovery process and how did you handle that both physically mentally emotionally especially being away from home yeah it was um it was really tough the first week it happened um you know usually i would have my family that i could just rely on for some things um but being over there um yeah it was kind of really tough mentally and i was really down i was angry at myself for trying to save the ball and just you know angry about things that i couldn't change and then all of a sudden i just clicked and was like well it's happened need to accept it and move on and then once once i kind of accepted it's happened i i just focused on my rehab and i knew you know if i could win the rehab mentally physically i'll come back even stronger and i think that helped a lot um that I just got, got over it mentally really quickly. And obviously that final week or so of the season was a little bit confusing with Rhinos making finals almost by default following a positive COVID-19 case and missing the final round. Can you run us through that final week or so of the season? Yeah, that was um, a strange week. Obviously we wanted to play the last two games and make finals um, 
the like traditional way, but we knew um, we knew what what um, the rules were um, if that if that situation were to happen. So we just had to accept it, um, and we just really just stayed focused. So um, the girls, you know, started we were doing workouts at home, um, shooting at home, just making sure that we were staying. Um, as fit as we could during the isolation period so that we knew that if we were going to make finals that we would be prepared for it. And you were named the Sky Sports Fans Player of the Season. What did that mean to you in your first year at VNSL and competing at that level? Yeah, I was so honoured to receive that. Um, You know, I really enjoyed the season and knowing that the fans enjoyed having me there this, um, this year, you know, it was was really cool so i'm glad that they enjoyed having me in this um in the competition this year and that was really special to receive and you were named in the australian national championship western sting squad this week um what kind of tricks of the trade are you hoping to bring back to that squad um yeah i'm just hoping to bring a little bit of experience you know now that i've gained some of um that experience at the next level um, I'm just hoping yet yeah, to be one of the most or one of the experienced players on the court, and also just using all the skills that Dan has taught me, um, Dan and Mags have taught me over in the UK, just putting them into practice back here. And what is your end goal for your netball? Uh, so I want to represent Australia. So yeah, I'm just working hard, um, you know, just to play. Um, or just uh, take the opportunities that I'm given at the moment and hopefully one day end up in the Diamond Squad. Beautiful. And I think one last question here. Who is your hardest opposition, both player and a team, if you can think of one? Um, a player, you know, they're all kind of really different. So it's hard to pick one like who's the hardest because they've all challenged me in different ways. Um, um yeah, I think it would be Vinkumbo from Sirens, though. She was really strong and she's a really tough player. So um, I think it would have to be her. And the toughest opponents that we've played, um, I think it would be Sirens as well. You know, they're really competitive and I feel like we we're kind of on the same level, but both being like the underdogs of the comp who could make finals. Um, and I think we were just like, yeah, we have the same fight um, out on the court. So I would say sirens. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your quarantining and your 30 minutes of exercise. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me, girls. <laughs> thank you. Huge round of action over in New Zealand over the weekend. We had the Northern Stars taking on the Northern Mystics in the first match of the round. And the Mystics actually knocked the Stars off their perch. Second time that the Mystics have done this. So they're two from two when they claimed the, I think it's the Northern Bridge or Northern Star or Northern something (laughs) or other uh, title, which I'm sure they are more than happy to have one, I suppose, probably not so happy that I screwed up the name of it, but that's neither here nor there. It was a really comprehensive performance from the Mystics. The Stars just, as soon as they come up against the Mystics, they have no answers. We touched on in the previous week that what they did defensively when the Stars came up against the Mystics was they put Anna Harrison out into that wing defense role to kind of negate the influence of Petatoyava. And they didn't do that this round, which was 
probably a really good move because I think that Harrison does some of her best work down in that goalkeeper position and that she did. And it was interesting. They adopted this tactic where Ali Temu would come back into the circle and drop back onto Grace Wiki. And then it would allow Harrison to come out and attack the ball on uh, Toyava, which was really interesting to see. So I think for the Stars, this was more of a learning curve rather than a loss, if that makes sense. Yeah. They were really toying around with different tactics, especially down in defense. So I'm 99% sure they play again this week. So it will be interesting to see whether or not they claim the win and if those tactics have come to fruition. But once again, Grace Wiki is just unstoppable. 55 from 59. And then... I was so happy when Phil Devui came out on court. Love the way she goes about things. Bailey Mez, three from four, 12 goal assists. Not overly huge, but she's at least doing the little things right, if that yeah. makes sense. Well, you are right that they do play again this week. So definitely safe to say that should be an intriguing battle. But I just want to touch on Toyava again. 27 goal assists is just huge. And that's from 40 feeds too. So she's really getting in there feeds with assists was 29 which means only two goals went missing in like in her feeds within a uh what am i trying to say only two shots no, were missed on the conversion i said assist instead of attempt yeah and something important to note is that she had 27 goal assists and 29 feeds within a in a with an attempt which means that only two of those feeds actually went without a goal score so that's just huge that conversion rate from her she's just been so fantastic Taylor Earl had a really good game defensively this the Mystics stepped up too Amma Abwezi even got out on court she picked up a couple of gains Sulu Fitzpatrick was fairly strong um, Kate Burley only played the 39 minutes but she was also really, really impressive when she was on court, picked up the two intercepts. The combination between Fitzpatrick and Burley is just great to see. And the connection is just growing every time they're out on court. Fitzpatrick is such a leader down back and she's often barking orders at, at Burley and Burley is, you know, adapting her game to suit whatever Fitzpatrick is barking at her, which is great <laughs> to see because clearly uh, Sulu is the more experienced player and Burley is still really developing her skills. So that combination is going to be one to watch for future years. But if we look at the the stars, uh, one player I would love to touch on is Amarangi Malasala. I was waiting for that. <laughs> uh, she had an absolutely phenomenal game. It was her first start this season and didn't she deserve it? 22 goals from 27 attempts is just ridiculous she was so confident to go to post she backed herself in and okay the stars didn't win but they really uncovered her great gameplay and just having that other option because Maya Wilson in the past couple of weeks has really dropped her shooting load 35 from 41 it's nothing to sneeze at but Mm. it's nothing of her lofty standards we know what she's capable of and it's certainly not reaching that Exactly. You hit the nail on the head there. So for Malasala to be able to come out and just have this presence and draw the attention of both Burley and Fitzpatrick, it was just great to see. And often they couldn't just double back on Wilson. They had to give her the credit she deserved. So a really, really exciting player. And once again, Gina Crampton, uh, uh, just a stalwart now. She's just become so, so integral in that front end. It was also a really good game from Mila Riali Buchanan. She also picked up 25 assists and Crampton with 26 so no doubting the two of them had no issue finding 
um, the two goalers in the circle, they just weren't necessarily receiving the volume that they needed to get a win here. Now we'll look at the second and also the last game of the round because the third one was cancelled. Um, the Southern Steel defeated the Magic 65-50. to 50. This one was frustrating again for me. The Magic just aren't hitting the highs that they need to and they're getting really good in the second half but they let the game get away from them in the first half and then they just can't get back into it it takes too long for them to warm up and as you can see the influence of grace carter is huge she wasn't there for the magic this game and it was obvious on the scoreboard that first quarter they only managed nine goals while the southern steel managed 16 and it's not like the steel weren't without a big fish they didn't have george fisher out on court so they had to bring in the likes of grace namana and uh, georgia heffernan got a call up she didn't get out on court but it's good to see that she's back in the mix after doing her acl last year so it was interesting to see just how incomplete the magic almost looked there was just no real oomph out on court or while they had passages there were little bits here there and everywhere that just fell away when it needed to Caitlin Bassett 21 goals from 22 attempts great effort 36 minutes yeah she needed to stay out on court she is that easy player to feed into and the magic need to start to back themselves in and just release that high ball you know she's going to get it she is a world-class player just do it yeah Absolutely. And I think it's because it was Tori Colosi and Katie T-R, T-A-O, I think it is. Um, apologies if that pronunciation is incorrect. But it was, yeah, that lack of experience in the wing attack position that really hurt them in this match. Obviously, we do know how important Grace Carter is. And we've seen that pop up here and there this season. But seeing someone like Bassett only get um, 36 minutes or 35 minutes, and that's that's a coaching decision. That's not a decision from her as a goal shooter so it's it's frustrating to see things like that when she was playing a fairly um, comprehensive game herself but that's not to um, discredit the work rate from the steel they were impressive Grace Namana was really good 34 from 37 and Tiana Metuado I was so impressed with her 30 from 31 she absolutely starred she switched around her position. She was able to adjust really well. There's been times this season where we've kind of been waiting for her to have that big burst and um, kind of take control and take that momentum on. And she did it really well in this match. And she didn't only just shoot 30 goals. She yeah. also racked up 18 goal assists. So her presence was just huge. She was involved in just about everything. And she really takes the weight of that attacking end on her shoulders, which is great. Another player that I can't stop singing the praises of is Kate Heffernan, 19 goal assists and and again as well. She's just a really, really crucial player. She plays both defensively and attackingly. She, I don't know if attackingly is not a word. word. Apologies for that one. That would just slipped right out. (laughs) Offensively is where I was going, but my brain did not agree with me. But she has really become a crucial cog through that midcourt. And Tanisha Fafida, once again, seven gains, two of them intercepts, a couple of pickups, rebounds. She is only 20-21 coming up against the likes of Bassett. And okay, then she got time up against Kiara Semple and Kiana Williams. Williams, she would know her game relatively well, given that they would have played pathways and things like that together. But it's just a really well-rounded performance. And it's a 15-goal win without George Fisher. Yeah. Without her. Yeah. It says a lot. And I think it also says a lot that Metuado picked up 18-goal assists, Saunders with 20, and she played wing attack for 
I think it was majority of the match with Heffernan in centre and then I think Saunders finished in centre. It was just, I mean, you look at someone like Saunders and I don't look at her and go, oh, yeah, she's an attacker. She's always been more defensive-minded, especially for me seeing her in centre. She flourishes with that extra, extra space. But seeing her carry that load and then Metuado kind of pick up where she left off, is just so impressive to see and the versatility there with the steel and the fact that they can trust a, a developing player to come out on court and have that impressive workload such as Grace Namana. Keeping in mind, yes, the Magic are at the bottom of the ladder. So it was kind of a safe game for them to be able to try out that combination and switch things up. But like you said, that is a 15-goal win without their main goal shooter who has been leading the pack this season. And not to mention, the Magic also had Tamalisi Fakahakatao return. Yeah, she came back. So, okay, she is returning from injury, didn't play a full game, but still she has an incredible presence down there, very physical, very aerial, and just eats that stuff up like no problem whatsoever. Same with Erin Amakade. She has a great lean over the shot. So it's not like they were coming up against any slouches, but they still managed to find this way and just dig deep and put their hand up as real finals contenders. Absolutely. Well, round 11 will be complete in about a week and a half's time. The Pulse and Tactics will play on Friday the 9th of July to finish off this round because obviously their match over the weekend was cancelled due to COVID-19 issues. Uh, But before that happens, we'll have round 12. So the Northern Mystics will take on the Stars once more, the Tactics and the Pulse, and then the Magic and the Steel again. So we're just having a complete repeat round the week after. Except I think now it's switched home games, if that makes sense. So venues. So that's the only difference. The I was going to say the mainland Tactics and Central Pulse have had that extra break. So they are going to be chomping at the bit. The Stars will not be happy that they've lost two straight to the Mystics, so I'm expecting really big things from them. And the Magic, they've got to hit back because that's a little bit embarrassing. 15 goals and, like we said, without a star goal shooter in George Fisher, they'd really need to up the ante and they'll be hoping that uh, Grace Cardo is back in the mix. Yeah. And keeping in mind, I'm fairly certain George Fisher is the only injured player from last week's episode that we mentioned who didn't take the court this week. Looks like she's still recovering from her concussion. So fingers crossed she'll be available this week to play. But if not, they do know that they have a very capable goal shooter who can kind of take the reins there. So the Steel are very fortunate to have so much exciting talent. And overall, the New Zealand pathway has produced some really, really excellent young players. There's so many, so many excellent young (laughs) players. It's a little bit of a worry for us Aussies because their depth is impressive and the fact that they're getting to ply their trade at the highest level that they possibly can is another concern because we've got only a couple of young Aussies out on court at the moment. You consider Tipper Dwan, Sophie Dwyer, Sunday Aoyoung. Okay, we've got a few. So so maybe we don't have too much (laughs) to be worried about then. Well, a huge, weird round of SSN and ANZ action is done and dusted. We'll be back next week for another huge episode of the Center Pass podcast. Thank you so much for listening. As always, go follow us on Twitter. Um, send us a message on Twitter if you want to chat. Obviously, answer all the questions that we've posed to you this episode. And thanks for listening.